0: We will get to episode 179 in just a moment, but before we do, I'd like to ask for your support of the I Can't See You podcast. When you need to shop at Amazon, please use my link by going to icantseeu.com slash Amazon. That'll take you right to the amazon.com homepage. Shop like you normally do, check out like you normally do. It doesn't cost you anything more, but I do earn a small commission. I really would appreciate it. Again, that's com slash Amazon. Thank you so much for your support. From Studio B in Swarthmore, this is the I Can't See You podcast with David. It's like blind people for dummies. Hello there, and welcome to episode 179 of the I Can't See You podcast. My name is David, at David Benge on all the socials. I really do appreciate you joining me for this episode, and I've got a few things to talk about, for specifically Two are in this first bullet point that I'm going to hit first. Email. I got a couple of emails over the past week or so, and I wanted to talk a little about both of them. The first one I wanted to mention was from the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania, and it had to do with voting. The Pennsylvania primary is coming up next Tuesday, the 17th of May, and it was basically instructions on how to vote for everybody except for blind people. Everybody could do it any of the three ways that they had there, and take their ballot to the drop boxes. Do you remember when election day was just election day? And the only time you didn't vote on election day is when you were going to be out of town, traveling on business or on vacation or living somewhere else, but still a resident of that state. Now, of course, voting day is voting week or voting month. And don't get me started with that. Obviously, I've already gotten started. But You know what I mean. Election day, day. It's got got it in the word, day, one day. It's open 12, 13, 14 hours. I don't remember how long in Pennsylvania, but it's open plenty long. I don't know why people just can't get there on that day. I've always had no trouble and I've worked many hours on election day in the past and still able to get there because I want to get there and I want it to work. So I get this email from the secretary of state. Her name is Lee. M. Chapman. She's actually acting Secretary of State. And again, I'm not sure why it's called Secretary of State in Pennsylvania, because Pennsylvania is one of the four commonwealths in the U.S. Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Virginia, and Massachusetts are the four. I don't know what makes them different and why they're called commonwealth instead of state. I don't know. If you know and you want to school me on that, please reach out. 646-926-6350. It's 646-926-6350. Again, 646-926-6350, or shoot me an email at ICan'tSeeYouPodcast at gmail.com. And please let me know. If I remember when I get done recording, maybe I'll look it up. But I, I just don't understand. And again, why isn't she called Secretary of the Commonwealth? That doesn't matter for this. So I get this email, and it's about voting, and there's these different ways you can vote. And it doesn't mention what you do if you're blind. And I know there are ways that blind folks could vote. And the funny thing is, one of them involves, or I shouldn't say one of them, the way involves needing a printer. Now, most blind folks don't have a printer. Why would they have a printer? We have one, but it doesn't have donor. (laughs) And, but again, if you're blind, you you wouldn't have a printer because you wouldn't be able to see what came out on it, what would you need it for, what would you be printing, other than maybe about and a couple of other other things throughout the year. So just for fun, I responded to this email, which I assume was a general email sent out to who knows how many people throughout the state of Pennsylvania, pardon me, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I really didn't expect an answer, and I was correct, I haven't received an answer, and I I think I've sent a, I, I replied to that email probably about a week ago, maybe just under a week ago. The way I vote is with Liz. We have the same ideology, she fills out two ballots the exact same way. Sometimes I will feed it into the machine, other times she'll just do it if I'm not feeling it or it's busy. Uh, or my hands are swollen, and I'm dropping the paper all the time. And again, that's, that's another thing that is kind of funny, the way you vote now. Back when I first started voting all those years ago, back in 1988, I think it was, for the first time I voted, it was levers that you pulled, very tactile. Now, at the time, I could see a little bit more, so I could actually read what was on the ballot. And other than during a primary, and again, the primary is one where you pick basically your starting team against the other side in the general election in November. And again, I know there are more than two main parties. Well, I know there are other than two parties, but for the most part, especially in an off-year election, it's primarily Democrats and Republicans. Now, in Pennsylvania, if you're a Republican, you've, you can only vote for Republicans. And if you're a Democrat, you can only vote for Democrats. You can't walk in and say, hey, I'd like to vote for this side this time. And if you're an independent, you can't go. <laughs> the only time you can go during a primary to vote would be to vote on any kind of qu- ballot questions. You wouldn't, you'd be able to vote for those, but you wouldn't be able to vote. You can't walk in and say, hi, hey, I'm an independent today. I'll be voting for Democrats or Republicans. And I know in some states you can do that, but not in Pennsylvania. So when it's a primary election, it would be a little more difficult, even with the old style machines with the little levers. Again, during a general election, though, and you are going to not split your ticket and you're just going to vote for a straight Democrat or a straight Republican ticket, you just have to pull one lever. And if you know, What one starts at the top, you just pull that lever if that's the one you want, or the next one down, and you're good to go. As technology has, "in quote-unquote, improved elections, it has become more difficult for someone who is blind or visually impaired to vote. You can't push any levers anymore. You can't feel them. And they did away with the, at least in Delaware County where I live, They've done away with the voting machines where you used to push these little buttons. And they were kind of like the buttons you would have on your microwave or your washing machine. They weren't very tactile, they were almost flush with um, the machine. And you weren't sure if you've pushed it. It's not something you would be able to check because when you pushed it, a little light would go on. So they've done away with those. And now it's basically a paper ballot, and you're, it's like you're taking an SAT. Test to get into college. So again, when we go in, they see us. They always ask if I want something, if they if I needed help. And Liz again just says, No, I'll write down his stuff along with mine. And we usually sit somewhere. Well, Liz sits while she fills them out. I stand and she fills them out, and then we walk over to the machine, and then you feed it into this scanner, which, like I said, sometimes I will do it if it's not busy. Uh, other times Liz will just do them both and we're done. But in this email, it said every which way to vote, except for if you're blind or visually impaired, it didn't give you any kind of idea on what to do. So I said, I'm blind. How do I vote to see what kind of response I would get? And like I said, I've gotten nothing back yet. Now, maybe before election day, next Tuesday, I'll get a response. And it has been a big issue, not just here in Pennsylvania, all around the country. In Maryland, I was talking to someone where they would get a ballot that was a different size than any other ballot. So even if you voted in private, how many blind people are there per ward? And they know, okay... John was the only blind person in and they see one ballot with a different size piece of paper, they're going to know that's how John voted, which of course is not not right. Now, I don't know if Maryland has fixed that. That's going back uh, two years. So I'm still waiting to hear from the Secretary of State, Lee M. Chapman, and hopefully I will find out. And it's something that we're going to talk about on White Canes Connect because I have checked out other voting machines at various NFB events that make it very easy for blind people to vote. But of course it costs money and it would require the county, at least in Pennsylvania, it would require the county to have all of the same machines. And if they did that, the company that I saw that made it very easy, doing it by voice, and making it simple to make the selection that you wanted, everything was easy about it. And I don't remember the name. I saw it at an NFB state convention uh, a couple of years ago. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that and what happens, I'm sure for the general election come November, it will be the same way. And maybe they're working on a different solution, but right now it's just not a great solution. And again, if you don't live with somebody cited and you've got to vote, with the way they have it set up now, you need a printer, which you can't see. And again, most blind folks don't have printers. And you need to do some things that it's just not right. So I thought that was funny that I didn't get a response from the email. Again, it's not unexpected though. And I know I've complained a lot about emails not being accessible or whatever, for blind folks. And sometimes it's very easy to make that change. It's just a matter of using alt tags. Now this next item, I was listening to a couple of podcasts and this guest that was on two different podcasts within a month was talking about how she was getting her blog to X number of Uh, visitors per month, and she was making X number of dollars per month. And for joining her email list, that was what you got with the opt-in. She had an SEO checklist. And I thought, oh, you know, I just have to give up an email address. I've got a million of them. I can give one up that I don't mind getting spammed with. And so I get this SEO checklist, and it's an image. It is a I think it was a PDF. It was either a PNG or a PDF. But it, if it was a PDF, it was a PDF image, not an OCR PDF, where a screen re- reader would be able to read it. So I don't remember how many points are on there, and I'm thinking, okay, well, boy, I'd like to read this. And again, it's it wasn't long. I thought it would be something that again, to see if I'm doing for for some of my sites. I thought, you know, this would be great if I could see this. And if I am doing all the things that are on here that help this girl get so much traffic to her site or sites. So, of course, I responded to the email and I haven't heard from her either. And I basically said, this is all I would like. Can you please send me this list as a text file, whether it's in an email or a .txt file, whatever. I just, I would like to read it. And again, it's it's probably a 30 second to one minute read. It's a list of bullet points on what to do. And I said the other way that you could fix it would be to add alt tags. And again, I explained how to do it. And again, I got no response. And that's one thing that I think is funny about people. If you are pushing something and you want somebody to stay on your mailing list, and I don't know that I would go back and read more of her emails. I certainly won't now because I know if there's any kind of images in it that I'm not going to be able to see them. And before I even emailed, I thought, you know what? It's not reading it on my computer. Let me take it into, let me open it up on my phone because the photo app on your phone now, the camera app is very awesome when it comes to text and photos. And I thought, well, maybe this would work. And it didn't. I dragged my finger around the screen with this list and it wouldn't read anything. So it's gotten to the point now when I, if I were to take an image with my phone, if let's say I'm walking down the street and I know that there is a sign, I can tell that there's a sign there and I use seeing AI to tell me what it says, I could take a picture of that with my phone with the regular camera app. And if I knew that there was a phone number on there, I would then later be able to go back and touch that phone number and be able to call it. But again, this email that I received from this lady about the SEO checklist, I couldn't read. And again, a lot of different ways around it, but something that's easy to fix. And if you do it right at the beginning, it's a no-brainer. Everybody can read it. There's no issues. But now, of course, I'm not going to read her emails. I'm not going to, I don't know if she offers courses. I don't, I don't I don't know that there's anything I I would ever want from this lady again, but she has great stories and she talks about her website. And I'm always interested in driving more traffic to the websites that I have. And I would love to hear what she has to say other than what I heard on those two podcasts. So I'll let you know on this one as well. I don't expect to hear from her either. And maybe at some point I will tweet at her and see what kind of response I get. Moving on, this week uh, on Monday was the final presentation at the University of the Arts for that program with the accessibility features for the museums. Um, not for museums plural, but based on the Museum of the American Revolution, or as everybody calls it, MOAR, (laughs) which always makes me chuckle a little bit. I'm not sure why. So as I've mentioned in previous episodes, as these things have been coming along and we've been going back, first we went to get an initial overview of what was going to go on and we walked around the museum with the students. Then the next time we got to see what their project was going to be, they were broken off into groups and some were undergrads, some were grads. And it was interesting the difference uh, they were all grouped together. So it wasn't just all undergrads in, in a group or all graduate students in a group. Some, some of each were in each group. And it was amazing to see, and you could tell the difference, just how more polished some of the grad students were than the undergrads. And some were, you know, first and second year. So, so it was a big difference. And all of, this, all of the groups, there were five groups, all of the groups had good ideas, There were some that were better than others. And there were a couple that I really, really liked. And the ones that started off strong ended strong and were my two favorites. There was one of, I think it's called the siege or the battle of Yorktown. And it's an image from the 1830s um, painted by, oh my gosh. uh, I think it was Henri Legrand or something like that. The original hangs in Versailles in France And this was a copy of that. Again, this was a copy that this guy painted back in 1830. So it describes different aspects of the painting. And as I've mentioned over the last few episodes since I started going to uh, check these uh, projects out, it was just set up very well. The sound quality that this group used both the voice and the sound effects and the music, everything sounded great. They were by far the best sound of all five groups. And so that probably was my favorite one. And that started out being my favorite one, only because when you go to the Museum of the American Revolution and you, 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 know, you buy your ticket, you walk up the stairs called this Grand Staircase, that kind of sweeps to the right, the first thing that you come to is this image, is this photo, which is roughly 14 feet by 16 feet. And it has a lot of different things going on in it, and it's great how it is explained, how these folks explained it, this group explained it, that I get so much more out of it than just by what is written at the side of the painting in the museum. And I thought, this is awesome. Because the one thing that I don't want, I don't want to be able to just pull something up on the internet and say, oh, that's what the picture is. Why do I need to go to the museum? I don't need to know. It's, It's all right here. But there was just something about it. I don't know if it was the sound quality. And it could be something that you just listen to on the museum's website. That would be cool too. But it kind of takes away from actually going to the museum. That's one thing I want to get out as much as I can. And, and I like to go to that museum. And it's in old city, Philadelphia, just down the street from Independence Hall. And this would make me want to go. If, if all of the exhibits had things like this, it, would, it was just awesome. And again, they had the best sound. The other one that I really, really liked was a tactile map. And it was more of a map that you would see it was a big map, you would see it like at a mall where you would say, okay, you are here and here's how you go, and And it was very tactile. They, used, they had incorporated a lot of different things into it from their first version. The first version had, I don't know if it was cardboard, I don't remember exactly what it was, where it had the walls delineated and it had glue drops from a hot glue gun to lead the path. This one now had, I forget what they said it was. I don't remember if it was, it was plastic. I don't remember if they used a 3D printer, but it was basically a white, the map itself was white and then it had black or dark, a dark colored wall uh, to delineate the walls. So it looked like a plot plan for a house or a floor plan for a house or wherever you were looking at. And, and instead of using the glue gun, and I thought this was kind of funny because it was great, they used rhinestones for the to lead you the way. So they were much bigger dots. And again, I've mentioned my issues with my uh, sense of touch. This was easy for me to follow. They were big. And because I have a little bit of sight, the light was catching some of them, and I thought, what is that? What is that shining in my eyes? And and one of the one of the students said, "Oh, that's the rhinestone." I said, "Oh, okay." I said, I, "I figured it was that, or my retina was detaching again." That's how it was. You know how a rhinestone is, where it you might see it for a second, it might uh, shimmer for a second, and uh, and if you do see that, and there's no rhinestones around, make sure you get your eye checked. Uh, but this one was a really good use of their time, and each iteration of the map got better and better and better. They went from a great idea to getting their plan out, to improving that plan, and then their final project was the best of the three. One of the ones that I really wanted to see do well kind of fell flat, and that was one where their idea was to have near a display case where a sword was, and I talked about this, I think, the last time that I was there. It had a sword, and you could feel the handle and feel the guard, and you could feel the initials of the guy whose sword it was that were etched in the guard, and then you could feel the blade. And again, the blade was not the actual size, but the cool thing was during the last version of this project, they also had a way of feeling how heavy the sword was, which was awesome. Well, in the final project, and there's also audio that plays. When you, when you touched a certain part of the sword, it would tell you about that part. That all was the same. The audio was still the same, although a little tough to hear but they got rid of the weight and where you could pick it up and feel. And again, it wasn't the whole sword. It was basically a handle and it was weighted to the point where it felt like how heavy a sword was. And they had trouble with the 3D printer and that's why they couldn't do it. But I was disappointed in that. That was the one I was most excited to check out. And I know that the professor for that class also question why they didn't have that, because everybody loved that. Everybody that was part of uh, our group said what a great component that was. And there were two other groups, one which I never really liked the idea of, and I, and I feel bad for saying this because this was it just wasn't something that was geared or bothered me to need to know. And again, some folks go to museums. Some folks have sensory issues, whether there's an issue um, that's diagnosed or just in general. So this this group came up with a way to, as you walk into an exhibit, it would trigger a sound. You're walking into the such-and-such such gallery. There, here's what's in here, and the noise level is this, and the vision, visual level is that. And again, for blind folks, it didn't matter the visual level. But again, there's some blind folks that have other issues where sensory overload might be an issue. And uh, it was helpful. And again, it's something that was helpful. It just wasn't helpful to me because I, I wouldn't have that issue. Paired with the folks that came up with the map, it would be a good combination. And their final project ended up being pretty good. And the best part of their project was the person that did the narration for the different rooms uh, or galleries. She had a very nice, calming voice, and it was actually, it was actually a great voice. She had the best voice of, of all the folks that did recordings. It was not the best sound. The sound quality was good, but it was only this person speaking, Again, the one that I mentioned with the painting, that was just overall just a much more polished, better sound overall. But if they paired the sound effects and everything else with this girl who did uh, the sensory uh, project, it would, have been, it would have been great. Or if the sensory folks added a little bit of background music or something like that, it would have been, it would have been great. And then lastly, there was a group, there is a gallery in the museum that has six or eight statues in which you can walk up to and touch. And they're a little bit bigger than life size. And it's different Native Americans. Some fought for the British, some fought for the Americans. And their project was good. When the first time we saw their stuff they really had, I was worried that they they had a bit of feature creep in there where they were going to do this and they were going to do that, and it just wasn't something that they could do in the amount of time that they had. It was just too much. And their project ended up being being fine, and their switches were good, and everything about it was good. It didn't, it wasn't much different from their first iteration of the project, so I'm curious to know what kind of grades these folks got in all these different groups. Uh, it was just it was just very interesting. I was glad to be a part of it, and uh, I always enjoy stuff like that. And uh, hopefully, they do this class next year. It's an accessibility uh, museum course there at the University of the Arts. So I hope I'm included next year if they if they do it again. So that that was a lot of fun going into town and uh, doing that stuff. Moving on to the next item that I have, and it has to do with the business enterprise program. And I'll give this update. It's not a good update, and it, it won't be too long, but it infuriates me. It is just so wrong. As I mentioned before, unemployment for blind and visually impaired folks is Roughly 75% might be a little more, might be a little less, but it's a lot more than most Americans. I think the unemployment rate in the U.S. is somewhere around 4%. So 75% of blind and visually impaired folks are unemployed. Because of that, the business enterprise program is something that could really help a lot of folks. You run your own business. It's a small business, but you have a job. You get... you you have a business, and you make some money. And it can't be taken away from you by somebody who is perceived to be better because they have sight. It's set up specifically for blind and visually impaired folks. In fact, I think you have to be legally blind to even participate in it. So the update from this week is that there is no update. Uh, We had a meeting uh, with the blind merchants this week, and as I've mentioned, I'm member of the Pennsylvania Association of Blind Merchants, and we talked about it. And evidently, and again, I, you know, rightfully or wrongfully so, in my mind, when government is involved, it's never going to go fast because of all sorts of issues. And that's the case here, too, whether they don't care enough to support blind folks, whether They just don't have their act together, whether they're stealing from the program and all of those things may be, may be what's, what's at hand here, but they basically have a skeleton staff that are handling things in the OVR. And I think there's four people in there and there used to be a lot more. And yes, COVID does play a part, but we're a little bit past that. I know there's still COVID out there. I still wear a mask out because Liz tells me to. But at some point, you've got to get back into doing it. The folks who are blind and want to be part of this business enterprise program, how are they surviving? They've got to go out and try and find a job, find somebody to hire them, just so they could string themselves along until they get into this program. And this program, the business enterprise program, was created by an act of Congress back in the late 30s, the Randolph Shepherd Act. And I don't know how it is in other states, and I'm going to dig deeper because it, it just infuriates me that there has been no movement. If you're new and in Pennsylvania and you want to get into the business enterprise program, you can't. You can't get training. You can't get assessed for your different skills to make sure you're ready to handle your own business, whether you know how to use a computer competently and you, can, you have cane skills to travel or you've got mobility skills to travel from your house to wherever your business may be. You can't even get started. You can't even do training be ready once everything opens up. And a couple of the people on the Pennsylvania Association of Blind Merchants, one of them, who's the president, her name is Pam, she has been out of work for two years because the building she was in, where her business was, was shut down for COVID. And then it went away because of some other things. It's not part of the BEP anymore. It's not at this point. She has since moved and is trying to get another location. She lives now near Harrisburg, but everything has been slow because of the staffing. Again, four people running this office and running the whole thing. There was talk of mismanagement. Four or five executives were let go because of issues. And meanwhile, any blind person in Pennsylvania, that wants to become part of the business enterprise program, which is vending machines in state and federal buildings and facilities, the rest stops along interstate highways where there's vending machines. Um, some places have cafes and things called grab and goes, little type convenience uh, type markets where in an office building, for example, in the IRS building in Philadelphia, there's vending machines and a, and a little, I don't want to call it a cafe, but it basically, you can get coffee and drinks and, uh, sandwiches, things like that. That's what the BEP is. And I'm going to dig a little deeper. Like I said, I want to find out in New Jersey, how is it in Florida? How is it, how is it running? Is it still up and running? is Pennsylvania the, the just the bad one or are there other bad ones and what needs to happen to get the ball rolling on it because again for blind folks it's a good way to earn a living and not have to worry about somebody hiring you because you're your own boss and i it just it just infuriates me that there's nothing going on with it so i am going to take it a little bit further um <laughs> I'm not going to fight for my BEP application because, I again, I don't know that I'm going to stay in this state long enough to actually see it through. I was told, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I was told my, by, by my BBVS, the Bureau of Blindness and Visual Services, that it would probably take five years to get everything done and get open. Just ridiculously absurd. And she continually pushes me to just go to the SBA and start my own business. They would, BBVS would also help. And I don't know with how much and I don't know what kind of assistance they would provide, but I'd be interested in, I'm interested in the BEP because of the low startup costs and Something that's, again, not, I'm not going to become a millionaire from it, but it's something that Liz and I can do together. And we don't need any other employees, most importantly. Because Liz now is not going to be at Walden, we thought this would be something that could work for us. She would be an employee of whatever the business was I came up with. And again, I would be mostly interested in the vending machines because basically you go to those you fill them up with the products that sell. You collect the money. You reorder the stuff. Not rocket science. Very easy. Obviously, there are issues. Things could go wrong with the machines. People could break into the machines, whatever. But it was something that I thought would be a good, a good fit for Liz and I. And so now Liz will, for the time being, try and find a job somewhere else once she leaves Walden at the end of the school year. And so if you have a job for her... <laughs> please reach out 646-926-6350 or shoot me an email at icantseeupodcast at gmail.com because she is looking, she doesn't quite know what she wants. I thought she'd be good as an office manager or something at a doctor's office um, or hospital, something like that. She's very good with people, unlike myself. (laughs) I'm actually pretty good with people when I'm doing customer service. Other times, maybe not so much. So uh, that is my BEP update for now. And again, I'll stay on top of that and let you know what I find out. Lastly, I wanted to talk about the latest episode of White Canes Connect because it was a great episode and I was so excited to do this episode. It was with two guys from Imagination Video Books. And basically what they did, and I may have mentioned this last week because we recorded the episode with Richard and Chris earlier that day and what these video books are, it's basically a book that you, you could watch or just listen to, and it describes the images. One of the books they were talking about was Goodnight Moon, which is one that I know my kids loved when they were little, and most kids love. Well, if you're blind, obviously you can't see what's going on in the images. And even if you are visually impaired, you might not be able to make out what's in the images. So again, you could watch the video, but you've got that description to go along with the narration of the book itself. So it is just a great idea, and it was a great interview because Richard and Chris talked about how to get involved in doing this narration or voiceover work, and what equipment to use, and all sorts of things, because they're looking for blind and visually impaired voiceover artist to do the narration or the co-narration. Narration Narration is the person that reads the words. Co-narration is the ones that describe the images. And again, I know if you're blind how you're going to describe the images, it's usually done with a script. And so I've been practicing listening and repeating so I could at some point in time do something like that. And that's my that's my goal. And I practice a little each day, some days more than others, depending on what Ziggy's doing and so forth. But I would love to do that, whether it's descriptive audio, like Brian Fischler did. If you have Netflix, uh, this just came out uh, yesterday. And again, today is the 12th when I'm recording this. It's called Your Father. And if you want to hear what Brian sounds like, he did the audio description for this documentary. So... Just hit pause, go up and change the audio settings so you can hear descriptive audio and you'll hear Brian describe what the images are that you see on the screen. And you can do that for any Netflix show or most Netflix shows are audio described and it makes it a lot easier for folks who are blind and visually impaired figure out what's going on in the movie, documentary, whatever you're watching, TV show. And that's the cool thing about Netflix and Amazon Prime, most of the Original shows from them are described, so check it out if you want to take a listen to that. Uh, I know that I am going to check that out at some point over the weekend, just to hear how Brian sounds, and and I'm curious to see how he did, and it's very exciting because that's a different company than this Imagination Video Books set up, and again, it'd be something that I'd be interested in getting involved in, and. Hopefully, as I get better trying to listen and repeat like I used to do when I was in high school for a TV show that we did for a couple of weeks in the mornings where there wasn't enough time to memorize a script, I had an earpiece in and would listen and basically repeat what I was listening to. Now, at the time, I could read the script, so I would read the script into a little dictation device and then play it back for me once we were doing the show live and that's how i did it and and actually there's a guy named Pete Gustin who is a major voiceover talent that is legally blind and that's how he does all his voiceover work now he started with voiceovers before he lost his sight he's done movies and he is i believe he's the main voice that you hear on promos i think it's on fox news channel uh, but you can go and check out his stuff at petegustin.com i'll put a link in the show notes Uh, He has a great voice and uh, I don't expect to be anywhere near him because my voice is not that good. (laughs) But that is all I have for you this week. So check out episode 33 of White Canes Connect. That should drop around the time this episode drops. And I will put a link in the show notes as I usually do. And that has helped White Canes Connect become much better than this podcast was out of the gates because 33 episodes in, And we're doing very similar numbers uh, as far as downloads go. So again, that's episode 33 of White Canes Connect. And it is with Chris and Richard. Richard has a great voice. And as I said last week, his, his voice reminds me of Liz's dad. So when I hear him speak as I'm editing this episode, it just reminds me of Liz's dad. It's kind of funny. But that is all I have for you this week. Again, it's episode 179 of the I Can't See You podcast. Please reach out with questions, comments, show ideas. You can call 646 926 6350. You have up to three minutes to leave your question, your comment, or your idea. If you do leave something that you want to get on a future episode, please leave your name in town so I know who to credit when I play it on a future episode. You can also reach out via email I can't see you podcast at gmail.com. I can't see you podcast at gmail.com. Again, any kind of questions, comments, show ideas, anything you got going on, please rate and review uh, wherever you're listening. I would appreciate that. And if you want to check out the show notes, I can slash 179. I can't see you. Sounds like a whole sentence, but it's only seven characters long. I C A N T C U.com slash 179. And you can find all the links that I've talked about here. I really do appreciate you listening to this podcast episode. Thank you so much. Please. Stay safe, be well, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the I Can't See You podcast with David. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends.